You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. I want Wheelhouse to be one of those places that people, as they transition, they look back on and think that place made a really profoundly positive difference in my life. It informed my perspective, was a fantastic experience. I made great friends. I learned things that I've carried into other workplaces. That's what I want for Wheelhouse. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am your host, Aoife O'Brien. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. And I have an absolute treat in store for you. If you are ever in the position that you want to change your thinking about how work could be, if you want to challenge your leadership team on ways to improve working by focusing on values, then this is definitely the podcast that you need to listen to. My guest today is Erin Burnett, who is the CEO and founder of Wheelhouse Digital Marketing Group. And what I love particularly about our conversation is that he's coming at things from an agency perspective. That is my background. I can so relate to what he's talking about. And yet he's still able to run his business as a very people-focused type of business. The Wheelhouse Digital Marketing Group is a fast-growing digital marketing agency recognized by Inc. Magazine as one of the best places to work in the United States. Erin has cultivated and built a thriving company based on an unwavering focus on helpfulness, generosity, and joy. Wheelhouse is the culmination of Erin's experience and commitment to a values-driven decision-making. It's a story told through performance, such as the 50% year-over-year growth the company has enjoyed for the past five years, all through referrals from delighted clients. Prior to Wheelhouse, Erin was president of Proxus, a UX design firm acquired by Uptop, was founder of Nuevas Fronteras, the first telecommunications service aggregator serving the Hispanic community in the US, SVP of marketing for Speakeasy, VP of marketing for NetMotion Wireless, and VP of sales and marketing for AT&T Wireless. I'm sure there's at least one of those names that I may have slightly butchered, but I'm sure you will forgive me. This was such a wonderful conversation to have with Aaron, and it was really nice to gain his perspective on building that type of business, which is slightly different than we would tend to associate with an agency type of business. At the time of recording, Erin was actually in New Zealand and it was shortly after the earthquake happened. In uh, He was in Wellington. So it was quite an interesting uh, backdrop, let's say, for our conversation. I really hope you enjoy the conversation today as much as I did. And as always, I would love to hear your thoughts over on social media, mostly hanging out on LinkedIn these days. So you'll find a way to connect with me there in the show notes or head on over to the Happier at Work website, which is happieratwork.ie. Welcome, Erin, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today, dialing in all the way from Wellington in New Zealand instead of Seattle. That's the original plan. 
That's right. You're, you are very welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners, give a little bit of a background uh, about yourself? Sure, absolutely. First, thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. So I'm Aaron. I am CEO of a company called Wheelhouse Digital Marketing Group. Um, I'll give you just a brief history of um, my professional life and how we got to Wheelhouse and why it is the place that it is. I began my career as a marketing executive. I was a VP of sales and marketing with AT&T Wireless, and that had similar VP, SVP roles with other tech companies. And I enjoyed that work very much. I enjoyed the work that we were doing, but there was always kind of a, a gnawing question for me as I worked in big corporate environments. And it, it was this, it was why it seemed that when we went to work, we were by default being asked to be different people than we were expected to be at home. Uh, to me, it, it seemed quite evident that you know, we teach kids to be gentle and kind and share uh, and that there's enough to go around. And then we go to work and the disposition was entirely different. And that seemed to be more and more the case the larger the corporation you were in. At work, you were expected to be fairly aggressive, fairly mercenary, to believe that someone in a competitive company was in some way your enemy, to seek advantage over other people, to seek advantage over people you were hiring as well. There was always this notion of tension between an employer and an employee. The employer doesn't want to give too much. Uh, doesn't want to overinvest. The employee, likewise, doesn't want to give too much. And so uh, it seemed, uh, in one sense, an inherently dishonest relationship and an unhealthy relationship. And I had this fundamental question as I transitioned from working in the corporate world to entrepreneurship. And it was, why can't we just be the same people at work that we are at home? Why can't the same values that we use in our personal lives be the values we use at work? Why couldn't we treat the people with whom we work and our clients and our business partners in the same way that we would treat our friends? And so when I started Wheelhouse, I wanted to create the place that I always wanted to work, a place where the values that we use at work are the values that we rely on in our personal lives, uh, some of which are unconventional and certainly heretical for a digital marketing agency, but they very much informed our culture. They've driven our success. We've grown very quickly over the last few years, relying on those values as central to the decisions that we make and the way that we run the company. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I love that. And I'm a huge, huge advocate of values and the importance of values for organizations and for organizational success. And as a way to differentiate yourself from your competitors, as a way to, and you know, this is kind of maybe tying in a little bit with this um, seeking advantage, but it is a way to have a competitive advantage, I believe. Mm. Um, I'd love to know, Erin, what are your corporate values and, and how did you come up with them in the first place? Sure. Um, well, I'll start with a second question first. We came up with them because um, we'd been in operation for 18 months or so, and they really were a codification of the way that we already were behaving. We were making decisions uh, sort of real time as we encountered challenges or critical moments in time when we need to make critical decisions as a team or individually. And in developing values, I just wrote down what we were doing. And what we had collectively uh, agreed was true and what I felt uh, on a deep personal level was true and was important about the way that we behave. So our values are helpfulness, generosity, trustworthiness, stewardship, and joyfulness. Two of those are conventional for an agency, trustworthiness and stewardship. 
any agency should have those as their core values, whether expressed with a little bit different language or not. You're spending other people's money. You have uh, this fiduciary role where you are responsible for spending that money wisely, prudently, to the best advantage of the client. Um, and that is stewardship. Then. So you're going to be honest. You're going to spend their money wisely. Helpfulness, generosity, and joyfulness uh, are not core values of agencies. Uh, and I'll, I'll describe I'll describe how they work and why they are our values. As I ran marketing for other companies, I hired lots of agencies. And again, I liked the work. The work was exciting and I liked what agencies could do. But I really was very uncomfortable with the nature of the relationship in a particular way. And it's this, agencies almost always have account managers. And the account manager is notionally there to facilitate communication and to take care of you as the client. But really the subtext in the relationship is the account manager is there to monetize the relationship with you. And so there's this kind of kabuki theater that you all go through where the account manager is becoming your friend and your buddy and maybe taking you out for dinner and wanting to know what's happening in your personal life. And that's all very nice, except that the real reason that that's happening uh, is they're looking for opportunities to get more revenue from you. And I felt very uncomfortable with that because it felt dishonest. We're pretending to be friends, but really what you want is this. Uh, and so I didn't want that uh, in wheelhouse. What I wanted is to create an agency where we were there to just help. And the money was secondary. I believe very strongly that the purpose of business is not to make money. The purpose of business is to do good in the world. And if you do good in the world and you do good for employees, for clients, the money works itself out. I acknowledge that that sounds naive to people who are um, more single-minded about profit and money than I am, but I think that's a healthy way to run a business. And so in these values, uh, what we say to prospective clients and the way we, that we behave is that we exist to be helpful. And the helpfulness that we provide is not constrained by any particular piece of paper we sign. We have digital advertising clients who may have a question about engineering or may need help with analytics. And we invite them to ask us, we'll help just because it's the right thing to do because our focus is on uh, helping our clients, helping them professionally, uh, which by extension helps them personally. We say explicitly, we'll be generous with our time and expertise. We'll almost certainly do work for our clients for which we're not directly paid. That's okay. We're going to look out for the best interests of our clients, and we'll rely on them to look out for our best interests, just like the nice people we were before we came to work. That's what we would do in our personal lives. If we're friends, I'm not worried about giving you something and then getting paid back from you. I'm just your friend. I'm just helping you. I'm going to be generous because that's what you do with people who are your friends. So kind of the, the shorthand for what we do is what would you do for a friend? That's what we do in business. And then the other value that is certainly unconventional is joyfulness. And we talk about the pursuit of joy. We believe that we should all experience joy in some manner in every workday. That doesn't mean that everyone runs around with butterflies flying around their faces and everything's fantastic and they love every moment of work they do. But it does mean that you should experience the joy, uh, joy in some way, the joy of learning something new, of achieving something amazing, of sharing that experience with others, of an experience that is singular, um, of something that is given to you, uh, of just the joy of where you're working. And I believe my experience tells me that that's something that you have to pursue. You can't just sit and wait for it to happen. Uh, you need to be intentional and go after it. And so we do a lot of things to create the conditions for joyfulness. 
uh, and to create the conditions in which generosity becomes not just what we do, but it becomes a habit in our personal lives and in our professional lives. And all of these things inform our culture. We have twin missions that we talk about internally and we have for years. They are to be the very best partner for as many clients as possible. We think of this moment as uh, kind of the emblematic moment of whether we've succeeded or not. We think of our, our clients opening invoices at the end of the month. We want our clients to get to our invoice and think, I'm so glad I work with these guys. That's the best money I spent all month. Yeah. And with employees, we want to be the best place to work for as many people as possible. I want Wheelhouse to be one of those places that uh, – you know, people, as they transition, they look back on and think that place really made a difference in my life, made a really profoundly positive difference in my life, informed my perspective, was a fantastic experience. I made great friends. I learned things or learned a, a way of behaving that I've carried into other workplaces. Um, that's what I want for Wheelhouse. So those are our goals. And all of that informs the way that we behave and what we do. Brilliant. Love it. So much to dig into in what you've just said. And I just want to reflect back about this idea of the culture being about the behavior and decisions. I completely agree because I think a lot of the time people wonder what culture actually is, but it's culture is like how, what is the lived experience of working in this organization? And I, I love all of your values. And I think we, we'll have a very interesting conversation because I'm I'm coming from an agency perspective. I worked in a market research agency for, or at least um, in uh, in the fast moving consumer goods or CPG, uh, consumer packaged goods, as it's called in the States. Uh, I worked agency side for about 17 years and loved it. I have to say I loved it. Uh, but you're so, you hit the nail on the head there. It's not a, an authentic relationship. It's... Um, you're, you're making friends, you're being buddies with these people because you have specific targets that you need to get. So this is kind of from the right. other perspective. You have revenue targets that you need to achieve. Therefore, you need to seek out these opportunities and become friends with these people. But you're so, you're absolutely right in, in how, um, how that, that it's so, it, it's so, it's dishonest, you know, and I, right. I love this idea of, so about the help, helpfulness, generosity, stewardship, trustworthiness, and joyfulness. I'd love to dive into this concept of joy and deliberately pursuing and being intentional about pursuing joy. How, how do people do that, especially at work? Yeah. Um, so one of the things we talk about is that we want our values not just to be touchstones at points of decision making. We want our values to become habits. And yeah. from a psychological or neurological perspective, if you repeat an action and you get positive feedback, that tends to wire your brain over time mm -hmm. to uh, more easily pursue that action in the future, to understand that, that that's going to be something that's beneficial for you. So we work hard to make both generosity and joyfulness habits. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Every employee at Wheelhouse gets what's called a joy fund on a monthly basis. They get $50. They can spend it on any other employee any way they like with only one guideline. And that is it has to bring joy to that other person. And there are a few things that result from that. First, if I'm going to do something that delivers joy to you, I have to know you on a deep enough level to know what that is. Mm -hmm. uh, it can't just be a water cooler relationship. I can't know just superficial things about you because joy is a, 
a deeper thing. It doesn't tend to come up in the initial conversations that you might have with someone. So I need to know you. That's the first benefit. The second is that in giving you something that delivers joy, I get the pleasure of seeing my impact on you, seeing that I've done something good uh, and that I've been helpful to you. And that gives me a sense of my own agency in the world and ability to make a positive difference, which I think many people are unaware of and I would like people to be aware of. And then the third thing that results is this, and this is a, a little more existential, and it is that um, I believe through my own experience that the things that we are conventionally taught we should chase in our professional lives, status and money, uh, are not the things that make us deeply happy. They're important uh, in a practical way. You need money to live and it's good to be successful, but they're not the things that will make us deeply happy. The things that make us deeply happy are the ways that we help other people, the good that we do in the world. And so uh, in a not too subtle way, I'm also hoping that we can show people that by helping others, you actually feel really good. Um, yeah. And we're, you know, we're talking about how to maintain culture in challenging times. One of the things that we have relied on and tried to emphasize is the way that uh, we should really double down and focus on helping each other as individual employees as we're on lockdown. My company went remote March 4th of last year. So uh, we just came up on a year of everyone working at home. And the part of the way that we've stayed connected is through things like the Joy Fund and taking on a more corporate role as well to do the same for all employees. The, uh, the other way, the other value that we try to instill from a habit perspective is generosity. Um, and we do that by once a quarter, and I'll describe what we did before we all went on lockdown and what we're doing now. Before we all went on lockdown, uh, once a quarter, uh, we would break into teams of between five and eight people, and each team would have been able to identify um, a charitable cause, a passion, a pursuit that they cared about, and could go donate time for a day, and then we would make a financial contribution to the organization as well. And then, and similar to what we do with the Joy Fund, the only guideline here is that we needed to get as close as possible to the people we're actually helping. Don't go work in the United Way office stuffing envelopes. Hmm. Um, that, that doesn't show you what you, what you've done, go help people who are, who need that help, um, and do so with other people who are like-minded and, and again, see your impact in the world. Uh, and then we make a, a fairly significant financial contribution. And as with joy, you get a sense of your own agency, your ability to, to make a difference. Uh, you get to do so with other people who are, are like-minded. Um, and by doing it once a quarter, we hopefully create just an expectation, a sense of this is something that you do regularly in your life. You go help other people. It, it feels good. You see the impact. We hear back from those organizations at the end of our generosity days, which is what they're called. Every quarter we have a generosity day. Uh, we get together for a party. And we think of this, we talk about it in shorthand as something for the world and something for us at the end of the day. Something for the world is what we do during the day. And then we come back and one person from each group talks about what they saw, what they did, and what it meant to them. And that's a really powerful and galvanizing experience for all of us that, again, drives home the import of what we're doing. So those are a couple of the ways that we try to make those values habits. Yeah, incredible. Um, and... I suppose, how have things changed since 
lockdown, you know, if you've been in lockdown over a year now at this stage, people are working from home. How difficult has it been to maintain that culture within the organization? Yeah, I would say uh, it was it was challenging at first as we figured out what we needed to do to adapt and adjust. Um, but a year on, I think we're doing pretty well uh, yeah. for a, a number of reasons. We figured out what we need to do as an organization. I think, you know, credit to the employees involved who've figured out what the new normal is as well and <laughs> have, have routines and work environments and all sorts of things that work for them. Uh, there were lots of things that we had to adapt to. Uh, some things became kind of uh, the opposite of, of what we had done, the opposite of what you would expect. Again, uh, this notion of deconstructing conventional thinking and ensuring that it, it really is accurate and then sometimes deciding that's not true for us uh, has been helpful. Uh, one of the ways is that you know, everyone went remote, so that means people are entirely unsupervised. So the conventional wisdom would be there's going to be a huge drop in productivity and we, yeah. we need to have software that monitors what people do and all sorts of things. We found the opposite was true. Mm. If anything, productivity increased. Yeah. What we needed to watch is to make sure that people didn't work too much. Exactly, yeah. If you can get out of bed and walk two paces and mm. you're at your desk and can work, that could be all you do that day, particularly yeah. if you live alone. And so we needed to create time during the workday after work where we were, um, if not demanding, we were reminding people not to work. We were watching the time that they were logging uh, and how late they were online. We used Slack for communication when we were getting emails from people. Um, and monitoring that way. So some of the things that we've done that are quite different, uh, and we've tried a bunch of things, some of them worked very well and we've maintained them and we've tried things that haven't worked as well. Uh, when we went remote, within a couple of months, we started, we, we sent care packages to all employees. So in that same vein of generosity, we have a workplace where uh, people can have pretty much whatever they want. Uh, we would have an Instacart order, so an online grocery order that went out every Monday, and what people needed for the week would come in. Uh, people usually ate work with others in the office, uh, and so we would be prepared for that. Our community meeting, so our monthly company meeting, was a catered meeting. Uh, it was a sit-down affair so that people, again, sat and talked, and also to remind people of, of this – and that is my hypothesis, my experience is the difference between a mundane experience that is not memorable and an elevated experience that's special often doesn't take that much more. Mm. Just a little bit more thoughtfulness, a little bit more of investment. Uh, in our company meetings, you know, we could certainly have food ordered in and it would come in, in cardboard boxes and we would all just sit with a box in front of us and have the meeting while people ate. Doesn't cost very much more to lay a tablecloth and plate the food and have a little bit better food and make this an experience. But it made a big difference to the experience of the meeting. But coming back to some of the things that we did, we sent care packages that included things that people were missing from the office. A favorite snack, something from around the office that they liked. And so sent that to everyone. We arranged to have uh, guided meditation and yoga sessions once every two weeks and invited everyone in the company. And participation was pretty high as well. Um, we had a book club that had kind of fallen dormant that was reinvigorated. Uh, and that was, uh, at the instigation of an employee who's been a champion for that. Uh, we started sometimes it's small things, 
we started a random question of the day. And the question would be about interests, uh, experiences, things that you would ask to get to know someone. And again, we use Slack, so we did it in Slack. It was a, a way for people to get to know one another and continue sort of to learn things that you'd learn in casual conversation, which really was no longer possible in the same way. That also meant that as we hired new employees, and we've hired a few this year, over the, well, this past 12 months, we could get to know them as well. And that made a big difference. We over-communicated. Uh, so we went uh, from monthly, what we call community meetings, to, for some period of time, community meetings that were uh, weekly and then every couple of weeks, particularly early on, as we were deciding what we needed to do as a company regarding lockdown, uh, what impact all of this was having on us financially. In the first few months, uh, it was a little bit of a nail-biter before we all figured out how to manage through and we recovered and everything turned out fine, but it was a little tense there. And yeah. we were in an environment where companies around us were laying people off yeah. uh, in significant numbers. Um, wow. and, and it was most of the companies around us as well. So to over communicate, to reassure, to be just really candid about the risks and what we were doing to mitigate those risks made a big difference. We have uh, our director of HR, have check-in calls with all employees every couple of weeks. So every employee just has a chat with Victor, our director of HR, just to find out how they're doing, how things are going with work, how things are going at home. Um, we also talked very openly about mental health, uh, mm. kind of right from the start. Uh, the research around the ebbs and flows, the, the sort of cycle that people go through when they're going through a crisis and having to manage through uh, and navigate through a crisis over an extended period of time is fairly well understood. And we kind of monitored those cycles as well um, and talked very openly about that. We make, made sure that people knew what resources they had available to them if they were feeling uh, in crisis or just wanted to talk with someone. Uh, and we started taking a mental health day. So the first Friday of every month, we shut down. And the reason that we did that was to ensure that people truly took a break. In this kind of environment, when we're all online, it's all well and good to say, just take a vacation day if you would like to. But when every other employee is sending you email and Slack messages, and you're conscientious and really care about those employees and you care about your work, it's really almost impossible to fully disconnect. Mm. And we wanted people to be able to do that. And so the first Friday of every month, we just shut down and, and we tell people, please, you know, don't send email, don't send Slack messages unless they're emergencies. Give everybody the room to just take the day off. Um, and that's been really valuable, very well received. And once again, didn't create a hit to work delivery. Uh, it just gave people a little more mental space and made them feel better. I wanted to give a shout out to you, my listeners, for all of the support over the last year and a half or so since I started the podcast. It has gone from strength to strength. We have reached nearly 18,000 listens at this stage, so I'm absolutely delighted. I'm over the moon. I recently checked the podcast stats and in February, for the first time ever, I reached 
over 2,000 listens for the podcast in any one month. If you don't already know, I'm usually on LinkedIn Live every week. There's no set time because obviously we're managing different time zones and things like that with guests. But I am typically over there and I would very much welcome any questions that you have on the most recent podcast. If you want to listen live, you can also listen to the replay and you can let us know what you think in the comments over there as well. If we're not already connected on LinkedIn, feel free to connect with me. You will find a link in the show notes below. You will also find a link on my website, happieratwork.ie. If you would like to connect with me, just mention how you know me and I'd be happy to accept your request. I have also recently been nominated or should I say shortlisted for an award from Digital Women for Podcast of the Year and I absolutely couldn't have done that without you and your support. So thank you so much for the ongoing support. I really, really appreciate it. I mean, that was, I suppose, one of the questions I was going to ask coming from an agency perspective. How do you deliver to clients? Now, I've read various things about um, and and it's certainly on a past guest, we had um, Lassa Rankins talking about the five-hour di- five day and where we perceive as individuals that our clients are going to care more about what we care about than they actually do. So having mm. that day and communicating that in advance to your clients that so you're, you're actually not available that day or here's my right. cell number for emergencies only type of thing that... Um, but I, th- I think as as companies, we tend to think, oh, well, I'm going, to, my client is going to care so much that I'm not available on this day. But actually, if we ask them, maybe they would relate and maybe they'd be okay with that. Yeah. The response that we get from clients is, oh, that's so good. I wish my company did that. Or, or <laughs> I'm so glad you, you guys are doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, our agency is focused on performance marketing. So every client with whom we work uh, has hired us to drive a business outcome an increase in leads, e-commerce transactions, something that creates real business value. What they want from us is that performance. They don't need us to be busy. They don't need hours. They don't need to know somebody sitting in a seat at a certain time of day. They want Mm. that performance. It's outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. As long as we're delivering those outcomes, I don't think anybody cares if we do it in two hours a day or 15 hours a day. Uh, That's up to us. Yeah. 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 I mean, we could debate that that whole concept of time in versus outcomes probably on a whole other podcast um yeah. i'd love to to get back to this idea of um the so you've hired people in uh during this time i suppose i'd love to understand from a couple of different perspectives because i was going to ask anyway in that environment and you've created this amazing work culture how do you make sure that you hire the right people kind of generally but also mm. i'd love to know more specifically in in the um environment that we're in at the moment with everything being remote how like what did that hiring process actually look like uh, and how yeah. were you able to do that yeah it it's certainly been more challenging uh, at least from my perspective i have been i knew that i got a lot from sitting in a room with people from face-to-face conversation. I hadn't quite realized how much I got from that and how much harder it was going to be to just see someone's you know, head and shoulders on yeah. Zoom, uh, how much more I was going to be highly attuned to every facial expression and tone of voice and all of that sort of thing without those other signals. But we've adapted. I'll describe our hiring process, which uh, 
has been developed over a number of years and is very, very focused on hiring for culture fit and values nice. alignment yeah. uh, as a first step. That's the litmus test. And then if, if you have the skills we need, that's also required. But first, we have to be the right kind of people for one another. Yeah. So we have a screening interview that occurs with our HR person. That is all about values and culture fit. Uh, just asking questions about disposition and attitudes around things that are related to, are tangential to, or indicators of uh, values fit. And someone has to make it through that first 30-minute screen before they're considered uh, at all. Uh, we, depending upon the, the role, will also ask folks to write something that, that may give us a sense for values fit and culture alignment as well. And then uh, we step people through an interview process that's fairly rigorous. Uh, and throughout that process, we're listening for both experience and skill set, and we're listening for values and culture alignment. Every employee with whom a candidate speaks, uh, almost without exception, will speak to values and culture because they really are so central to how we operate the company and to our competitive differentiation um, to the extent that that our values and culture really are, have been the engine of our growth. When, when we have a candidate who has satisfied all of the other interviewers and we believe that they're a good culture fit and a good skill fit, they come to me. And as part of prep for that interview, we do a couple of things. They take a disc profile assessment. Yeah. And they take another assessment called a saboteur test. And so the DISC profile uh, obviously gives you a sense of disposition, personality type, and also how your disposition uh, may or may not map to the work that you're doing and the people with whom you're going to be working as well. What's it going to be like if you're a C to work with a D and it turns out your boss is a D, right? What's yeah, that, yeah. that going to be like for both of you and Gosh. what do you need to know <laughs> yeah. going into that relationship? Um, and then the saboteur test shows you how your disposition and your personality type can show up in times of stress to create problems for you uh, or problems for the organization. And there, um, we are looking for people to be kind of anything except dominant in one area. And it shows sort of a stack ranking, a score against nine different saboteurs. Um, you might be hypervigilant. Uh, you might be a real stickler. You might be a, a complete pleaser. Um, any of those things are fine. There is one saboteur, though, that doesn't work well, and that is uh, feeling that you're a victim. Okay. Uh, for us, we know from experience that people with that as any sort of strong indicator among their saboteurs aren't going to work out well. It won't be good for either of us. Mm -hmm. And so I get all of that information and have a conversation with the person. It's usually an hour conversation. And we often don't talk at all about the work that they're going to be doing. We talk about who they are and what they believe and uh, what their reaction is to our culture, to our values, to how they're going to contribute, how they envision themselves being a part of, and most importantly, contributing to the culture, because we want people with an innate sense of agency and uh, an understanding that uh, they're not going to be a, just a consumer of what we've built. We're a relatively small company. We're 30-some employees. Everyone's building this together as we move along. Yeah. Uh, and so we want people who will be contributors to the culture as well. And then based on that final interview, which is entirely about culture and values fit, we'll make a determination. It's not a perfect process, but we're pretty good at it. 
Yeah, yeah. No, it sounds it sounds brilliant. I, I and I haven't heard before of this saboteur task, but it makes total sense. And I, I get what you're saying about this victimhood, like someone sort of saying, oh, poor me, I'm the victim of my circumstances rather than actually taking ownership and responsibility, which is something that really shines through from from uh, from what you're saying. Um, yeah. It's how, aside from not being in the room with someone, has there been any great changes in how you are able to hire people? Yeah, the biggest change is that uh, we don't really care where they are. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Suddenly, <laughs> so, suddenly you have, you know, a much wider pool of candidates. Yeah. You know, some of the conversations, some of the, the things that we considered and debated prior to going into lockdown seem kind of laughable now. So we have a large office space in Seattle. We have a smaller office uh, on the East Coast in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and we had a couple of employees who were remote uh, and just work by themselves in a couple of other places around the country. And we had, Seattle is a hyper-competitive housing market. Yeah. Uh, we also have Amazon and uh, part of Facebook, and we have Microsoft and Google, and Twitter has an engineering team, all kinds of tech folks. But in particular, Amazon has really, I think, distorted the real estate market in a way that makes it really challenging for anybody starting out or even, you know, in their 20s or into their 30s to buy a house mm. uh, anywhere close to our office, which is near the downtown area in Seattle. And so we have kind of dreamed about and thought, well, maybe we could create a satellite office in a smaller town and some folks could work there and it would be a better place for them to be able to buy houses. And, and we always thought in terms of needing to have a physical office mm. as the first step and wondered how that would work and whether we could maintain and sustain our culture. And in this instance, where we've all just needed to go to the wind, uh, we know what it's like to be virtual. Yeah. And we also have polled our employees, and we know that almost all of them prefer a hybrid work schedule anyway, yeah. where even when we come back, they're going to spend half their time working from home. Mm. And I can't have any qualms with that. They do great work when they're at home. I understand why it's more productive to be able to go heads down and not be interrupted. So if you can do that, you can really do that from anywhere. We figured out how to do the culture part virtually. It's imperfect, but the thing that we'll add on top of that is what we've always done before lockdown, and that is uh, we bring people back once a quarter for uh, uh, a quarterly company meeting, and then we bring them all back at the end of the year for a pretty epic holiday party. Okay. And we find that that bringing them back for those things and then bringing them back occasionally for um, other work trips allows us to galvanize the culture, even for folks who are remote. So in a long-winded way to say, uh, we have just hired uh, a person who is in Virginia. Uh, we've just hired someone who's in Colorado, Wisconsin. Those are the last three hires we made. We don't have offices in those places mm. anywhere near them. Uh, and that's just fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And I'm and I'm in New Zealand, and we don't have an office here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> love yeah. it. Um, no, I really like this idea. And one of my previous guests as well, Andrew Barnes, uh, he's a huge advocate of the four day week. He spoke about the future of work and what that looks like. And one of the, the areas he touched on was quite interesting, saying that actually people do better work when we're at home and and. You know, there, there's kind of, I see two extremes where there's some companies that are using monitoring. So they've got their Zoom open all day or if they've got some sort of other monitoring software, they're doing the keystroke um, 
monitoring and things like that as well. But then there's the other extreme where people are not being monitored at all and actually they're performing much better because they're not being micromanaged. But um, mm-hmm. sorry, coming coming back to what Andrew said, he said that you know people will continue to work remotely, but actually it's the collaborative stuff and it's the social stuff that will bring people together back into the office. Right. So I, I really like right. this idea of your quarterly meeting and your end of year holiday party. Um, really, really like that idea. So what, what, I suppose, what does the future hold then? Will it be hybrid for everyone? And what does that actually look like? Or, or is that something that you've kind of considered? Uh, I think it will be hybrid for an awful lot of companies. Yeah. Uh, I know in, in the tech space, there are some notable companies who've said, that's it. You don't ever have to come back. You yeah. can work from anywhere for forever and ever. I think there are, I've heard of a lot more who have taken the same sort of approach that we have, which is it no longer... You know, the the, um, the litmus test for whether you can work for us is not your location. You don't have to be in the office. You can mm. be anywhere. Uh, we've set up the systems for that. That's pretty common now mm. uh, uh, among my cohort, other company owners. Uh, that tends to be the disposition. So unless there is a, a true reason that you have to be physically present, uh, I think uh, the default is now it shouldn't matter. Whereas before lockdown, the default was, it does matter. Of yeah. course, we have to hire someone in Seattle or Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really like that. Is there anything yeah. else that we haven't really covered today that you would like to get across about your culture or things that you've done slightly differently? There is one other thing that I should mention. that uh, This is a, a person in a role who is really important in uh, nurturing our relationships and taking good care of our employees and taking care of our clients. We have um, an office manager. We use a conventional title because other unconventional titles that we've used didn't really make sense or resonate with people. In the past, we called this person a concierge. Uh, and her role is a little bit to focus on office management, but, and by the way, she was hired. Her first day was the day after we went remote. She was hired just before we went remote a year ago. Her focus is on uh, taking exceptional care of employees and exceptional care of clients. We have uh, a stated goal that our employees should feel known and loved by the people they work with and that our Clients should feel known and cared for through the relationship. It should be transactional. They really should authentically feel, feel cared for. And so we have a person who is dedicated to that, uh, who is focused on delighting employees, on delighting clients, doing little things uh, at a company level that are based on uh, intimate knowledge of what's important for employees. Uh, for example, we have an employee who celebrates Purim. And so we sent a care package to that employee only because she celebrates Purim. We have a client who just got a puppy. We sent a, a gift, a care package to that client for a new puppy, even though that client is in Europe. And this is the person, Hallie, who really makes all of that happen uh, with support from others in the company. And so having someone who is dedicated to taking such exceptional care of employees and delighting clients uh, has been really important to us and I think is is another important ingredient in bringing values to life. Values really matter when money's involved, mm. uh, either when you are making a decision that will forego revenue because something doesn't align with your values or you're truly investing in values in the way that we are and Hallie's a big part of that investment. Yeah, brilliant. I love it. And I suppose 
The question that comes to mind in relation to that will be, how does that differ from a traditional HR or do you have a, a separate HR team, which is a bit more uh, process driven and, and functional? Or is that, does Hallie sit within that team as well? Or, or how, does, how does that structure work? Yeah, Hallie sits within that team. We have a okay. director of HR and operations and Hallie reports to that director. Okay, great. But her specific role is to love this idea of like delighting clients and, and making sure that employees are cared for and really understood. Yes. Brilliant. I suppose a kind of a parting question in relation to this specifically would be if, if an other organization which doesn't embrace that type of work culture but is looking to make that change, how would you direct them to make, make that change or to, take, to start taking the steps towards making that change? Yeah. I would start with a little bit of reading. We do, we've done an awful lot of reading. Uh, as we developed our values and as we've continued to cultivate them and learn how to express them, there are a couple of books that have been very interesting, uh, challenging, and helpful. One is The Art of Possibility. It's a fantastic book that, again, sort of challenges conventional wisdom around the nature of relationships and the way that we conduct ourselves in personal and professional lives. And just as the title suggests, it really sort of challenges you to think about what's possible, yeah. uh, and to do so with beyond the bounds of conventional thinking. And the other is a book called The Go-Giver. Uh, and that book uh, is allegorical. It's a really short read, but uh, really has the thesis that uh, it's not in trying to take or acquire that we succeed in business. It's in being generous, that we can create healthy and long-lasting success. And those two have been really valuable for us mm. and seminal in some of our thinking. Um, and then the, the other is, all right, someone might not embrace all of the values that we have, but there may be aspects of these that fit naturally within their disposition or their perspective on business. Yeah. Then do some of it. Do what fits and uh, grow into the rest as you see fit. Mm. Yeah, love that. Uh, definitely going to add those two to my reading list. I'm a huge reader as well myself. I read 58 books last year. Um, so I would definitely add those to my list. Um, always love to hear new perspectives. And I haven't heard of either of those before. So that's really great. So Erin, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? What makes me happy at work is feeling that the work that we do uh, has meaning, makes an impact, and that what we're doing as a company brings joy to our employees and to our clients. We're making a difference in their lives. Love that. And if people want to reach out, connect with you, learn more about your organization, uh, what is the best way they can do that? Yeah, to learn more about Wheelhouse, you can visit our website, wheelhousedmg.com. Uh, you can reach me either on Twitter, and I'm just Aaron Burnett, so at Aaron Burnett. Uh, and they can email me, Aaron at wheelhousedmg.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I have to say, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation today. I have three pages of notes to go through, <laughs> um, but it's been really, really refreshing to meet someone who is living and demonstrating everything that is what, you know, so I speak to obviously a lot of academics, a lot of other business owners uh, who will be kind of more solo entrepreneurs who are um you know, quite small organizations, let's say. But 
to to hear about how values and how this creating this incredible culture has has um you know how it's how it's come to life essentially I think is really really refreshing and it's brilliant and I and I love to hear that story so really really enjoyed the conversation today thank you so much thank you thank you I have as well thanks for having me Well, what did you think of that conversation with Aaron? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I just thought it was absolutely fascinating to hear multiple perspectives and how he's really challenging how things are done currently. I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts over on LinkedIn. Head on over to my page on LinkedIn. You can connect with me through the show notes below, or you can head over to happieratwork.ie. Chances are we are already connected. Keep an eye out for the post about the podcast. And I really would love to know what you think. And now to summarize some of the key points. So I suppose this whole idea for Erin's business came from the concept that we are being asked to be different people at work versus at home. And he saw an opportunity to create somewhere that was a little bit different, where people are free to be themselves. He was absolutely spot on with this, the idea of a client relationship being focused on each side is trying to take advantage almost of the other. So they're seeking advantage at least. And it creates this type of tension and both sides don't want to give away too much. One of the key questions, and I loved this, is why can't we be the same people at work as we are at home? And it's a very valid question. Coming back then to some of the key points. So values are about the behavior and the decisions and the critical decisions really that you're making in the workplace. And the values that Aaron focuses on in his business and seeks for when he's hiring as well are these values of helpfulness, generosity, stewardship, trustworthiness and joyfulness. What amazing values to have in a business and very different to the standard agency approach as well. The purpose of business typically is to do good in the world, or at least it should be. That should be the purpose of of business. And his attitude is that we'll help because it's the right thing to do. Be generous with time and expertise what would you do for a friend? That's what you should do in business. On the idea of joy, it's about pursuing it, about being intentional. And the business has these twin missions of being the best partner for as many clients as possible and the best place to work for as many people as possible. And when you think back on your time working there, you really get this sense that it made a difference in my life. And what an amazing thought to have. And I certainly, I have one workplace or sorry, probably two workplaces that I think very fondly in that way that it did make a difference in my life. And I look back very fondly and think what an absolute joy it was to work in that environment. He talked about values as habits and in order to build and to really embody these values within the workplace, they have set up a couple of structures, if you'd like to call them structures, maybe maybe it's a, there's a better word, but the, this idea of the joy fund. So it's $50 a month for other people. And this has a few different 
impacts. So it means that we know other people on a deep level. And when I say we, I mean the people working with Erin. Number two then is seeing the impact on others and knowing that you had a role to play in that. So that gives people a sense of agency, a sense of responsibility, a sense of control over what it is and the impact that they can have. Number three then is status and money. These are not the things that make us deeply happy. It's actually the good that we do in the world. And by helping others, we feel good. To bring the generosity value to life then there is a once a quarter charitable cause and the idea is that they get as close as possible to the people that they're helping so they have a sense of control or this idea of agency that we spoke about and impact as well and it's not just about donating money it's about seeing the real impact on the people that we are helping and I know certainly in previous organizations where I've worked we have done those types of charitable, you know, a full day once a year, typically where we would help a charity, but directly help them and see the impact on the the people who are actually benefiting from the work that we do. Some of the initiatives that Erin introduced specifically in relation to COVID were to remind people not to work. So, you know, there's this perception sometimes that people, if they're working at home, that they're going to be dossing. Like usually, actually, it's the opposite that's true. People work too hard. They find it hard to shut down. The laptop is just there. So it's easier to work longer hours and to reach a stage of burnout. So he put in place a a facility to be able to remind people not to work. He also sent out care packages. So this ties in with this value of generosity as well. And he, through that, he was able to create these moments and create an elevated experience at work. They also started doing guided meditations and yoga sessions. They re-invoked the book club that they had previously set up. There was also the random question of the day to build deeper relationships and to get to know the team a little bit better. And they tended to over-communicate. So when they used to have monthly meetings in person, they switched those to weekly meetings. And that was to, to reassure people about what was going on, even if they didn't have all of the answers, to be candid about the risks and how they were mitigating those risks as well. They also set up meetings for each of the staff with the HR directors so that they could touch base and and really interact on that, that deep and personal level as well. He was also very aware of people's mental health and especially having to navigate through a crisis. So they were very conscious of monitoring cycles, about making resources available, letting people know what resources were were available. And rather than giving kind of a, a specific mental health day where people can still sort of switch into work and dial in and see what's going on. Instead, they adopted a a mental health day the first Friday of every month. So I really, really like that approach as well. So it means that you're not going to be interrupted by anyone else um, on your day when you're supposed to be taking a mental health day. That brought us on then to the topic of hiring and some, you know, a topic that's really close to my heart. I think it's really important to hire people for values. And 
getting a sense of what exactly Wheelhouse does in order to do that. So they're big into values alignment and culture fit. And don't get me started on culture fit versus culture ad. To me, it's it's a matter of semantics. I call it culture fit. Um, so there's the screening interview. They ask them to write something. And then there's a, a rigorous interview around values and skills. They also use disk profiling and this saboteur test, which I had never heard of, but I really like this idea. So it's how we show up in times of stress. So there's the examples he shared were being hyper vigilant, being a pleaser. And then the one that doesn't work within his organization specifically, and probably within a lot of organizations, to be fair, is this idea of victimhood. So playing the victim or being the victim of your circumstances and your environment and not stepping up to take personal responsibility and control. When they go through all of these stages, then they have a one hour conversation with Erin about who they are, what they believe and how they will be contributing to the organization. So it's less about the work and more about them as a person and how they feel they will fit in. Going forward then, post COVID, it's very likely that they will be adopting this hybrid working model going forward. They will bring everyone together for the quarterly meeting and the holiday party then as well. He thinks it's, it'll be hybrid for most companies. I would tend to agree. He also mentioned this, this uh, formerly known as concierge, but now it's known as the office manager. And so the role of the office manager, Hallie in this case, is taking exceptional care of employees and clients so that they feel known, loved and cared for. He mentioned two books, The Art of Possibility and The Go-Giver, and I will put those links to those in the show notes as well. That is it for another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. Thank you so much for listening this far. As I mentioned, please do get in contact or in conversation over on LinkedIn. You will find the links in the show notes here or head on over to the Happier at Work podcast website, happieratwork.ie. And I look forward to chatting with you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie. 